For Jeremy Aho, my name is Jeremy. For those people um, I haven't met yet, I'm one of the pastors on staff here. It's my pleasure to continue our series in James. So if you've got your Bibles, grab them and turn to James chapter 4. If you've got your little A5 sheets, grab them and, and uh, grab your pens and uh, get ready to take some notes. We uh, uh, continue on in chapter 4. This is kind of the third in a trilogy in some senses, not quite Return of the King, but um, it's, it's, a, it's a series of three, there's a pattern of thought that he's taken from chapter 3 verse 13, where he asks the question, who is wise and understanding among you, and then works his way through to try and figure that out, what that, what that looks like. And to help understand um, this passage that we're about to read, I want you to think of it in the context of this. Have you ever been in a situation where you reacted inappropriately to the situation? You ever done that? Right? We, we don't like that. We don't, we don't want it. And probably when we were more immature, we've, we did that more. We figured out with one of our kids to used to always be laughing at us when we were telling them off. And the more you told them off, the, the, the worse their laughter got. And we realized actually it was nervous laughter. You know, you get, sometimes you giggle when you're actually kind of nervous. Um, when uh, I started going out with Kath, I remember going to her auntie and uncle's, um, who, her auntie and uncle's place, and they were a little bit scary, particularly the uncle. And, uh, um, you know, you're trying to impress the, the family. And uh, he was telling me the story and, you know, I was trying to make a good impression, so, you know, I was smiling a lot and, you know, trying to um, look like I was w worthy of marrying their niece. And he was telling me the story, he knew I was a vet student, and he's telling me the story about how they had all these tropical fish, huge big tank, they had a big number of them, and, you know, they heat this tank and they're beautiful kind of coloured, and one of them got a little sick or something or other, and so they went to the vets, and the vets gave them this, this medication, right? And they threw the medication in, he's telling the story kind of like this, and I was going along with it, and he said, and he chucked the medication in, and then all the fish died. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I did. <laughs> right? I laughed. And I very quickly realized <laughs> that was inappropriate. <laughs> So then you're scrambling to recover, aren't you, right? And you're pulling it back in. One of the things that in, in our development and our sense of working with, there's an appropriateness in situations. There's an appropriateness in behavior, right? And I think when we read this text, and you understand, I hope, as I unpack this, you'll see what I mean by there's an appropriate posture that I'm meant to have with God when I think about myself and the way that I've acted and rebelled against God. There's a posture that I'm meant to have, and I'll give you a parable in a minute that kind of frames that a, a, a little bit more. But there you go. I don't know what's happening with these two little kids, but um, they're responding quite differently to the same thing, presumably. So we've titled this one, Faith Submits. Now, submit is often not a very popular word these days, but um, I hope we want to know what that means, what the Bible is meaning by this phrase and James unpacks it for us here quite quite um, quite well but let's get the context 
So at the back of chapter 3, he's talking about, you know, who's wise and understanding among you. He said there's two types of wisdom. Wisdom you can get from above, right? It's pure and peaceable and open to reason, all those things that he says there in three, chapter 3, verse 16. And he says, but there's a, there's a way of the, the world that sort of operates, and it's, it's based out of our wrong desires. And he puts it in two categories. He says there's this ambition, right? There's the ambition to kind of have and then there's an, an envy of wanting something, and Nick described it as wanting something just alone, wanting something for yourself. He says these, these inner desires that drive us and cause us, he says, actually to see what you see with fights and quarrels going on because people get in the way of our passions and desires that we want for ourselves. And when people get in the way, we can treat them badly. We justify ourselves in treating them badly. So when you see that on the surface, like an iceberg, you see there's something going on underneath. And then in verse 4 of chapter 4, he says this. We touched on it last week, but I want to pick it up because I think the, the metaphor is very important. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means opposition or enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? And we talked about this as this beautiful relational element of God as a husband beautifully loving his bride. But he gives us more grace or grace on grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Now, James has spent a lot of time kind of talking up here. He's talking in sort of statements, but he's not really telling you exactly what you need to do. And so there's a high point here in verse 6 where he goes, right, here's, here's laying it out. Here's the basic principle. If you're proud, God's opposed to you. Got that one? And then the flip side is this. When you're humble... God's beautiful, loving, generous, forgiving grace flows. So what's the question that comes out of that? How do I be humble? <laughs> what does humility look like? How can I be ambitious about humility? No, you don't ask that question. Right. But we want to know what it looks like. What's it talking about that? And so these next few verses are describing that. But before we, actually, no, I'll read them and then, we'll, and then we'll, I'll give you the, the framing metaphor. So he says this, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Do you see he's starting to really actually give imperatives and commands here, telling you what you need to do. Submit, resist. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God or draw near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Now in your first reading of that, you look at it and you go, hang on, James. I thought the Christian life was one of joy, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Aren't we called, you know, about, about just this enjoyment of life and laughter and, and happiness that should come in the, in the Lord? Yet he's saying here, this is quite a different posture that is being called to. I want you to imagine for a moment that you're standing in a, just in a, in a waiting room and there's a door that you're about to enter. 
And behind that door, sitting in that room, <clears throat> is your spouse. And you've been married to them for a number of years. They're a nice person. They're sweet. They're kind. Some of you, it's easy to imagine. They're gentle. They're faithful. But you're about to walk into that room and open that door. There's one more part of the story that you need to know. <clears throat> this is the first time you're going to see your spouse after you have been unfaithful. You have physically with your body and with your affections of your soul given yourself to someone other than the person that you promised in covenant to be faithful to. Now my question to you is this. What will you be like when you open that door and walk into the room. What is the appropriate posture that you have when you enter and you speak to your spouse? Now you can tell me a few things that you will not do. You will not walk into that room and go, oh, it's so good to see you, how have you been? Isn't it great? Things are cool, aren't they? Why not? Because they're not. <laughs> we talk about an elephant in the room. This would be a brontosaurus in the room, right? You, you, you can't talk about anything else until you've dealt with this. What you've done. It's sitting there. Here's something else you wouldn't do. You wouldn't go in and go, I'm sorry, but... <clears throat> You know, you did let yourself go a little bit. Or, you know, it was just, it meant nothing. You know, it was just a fleeting kind of thing. And you make excuses for your behavior. You see? Because what you're doing is you're thinking about the person on the other side, aren't you, in that moment? And if you don't think about the person on the other side, then you, if you haven't already, you've destroyed, you're destroying your relationship. Do you understand? This is the metaphor that James is using here back in verse 4 when he says, when we think about it with God, he says, there's an adultery that happens. Because what I do is... I still, and he's talking to Christian people here in this sense. This is quite interesting, isn't it? This is not just a posture about when we're saved, although I think that is what he has in mind. You have to have that posture to have forgiveness, to receive the salvation from God. But there's a posture still that sits there as Christians that I have in humbleness before God. Because I'm working out of what I have done and towards something that is meant to be much better. And so James here, when he goes, he says, well, I'm coming under God, the creator, the sustainer, the saviour, the redeemer, right? However we... I come under God. He's the authority. I'm not. And so I have to have this posture that comes underneath God. Now let's look at it in a, in a di diagram. 
Now, can you see here, this is sandwiched here in verse 7, submit yourselves then to God. In verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord. Essentially saying the same thing. He sandwiched it between verse 7 and verse 10. So we see what happens there in between is a description of what submitting yourselves and what humbling yourselves before God is. And James is picking up uh, something that, that Jesus said in Matthew uh, 23 where he says, um, For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And interestingly, that chapter is talking to religious leaders. His, his, his context there is going, um, you have to get yourself sorted before the Lord. He's got a community orientation in there. And we'll see in a moment how that might be playing out in our, in our world today. So we're thinking of God and the posture that I come in is that I, I myself, I submit, I become humble. And he gives five pictures here or instructions. The first one he says is, resist the devil. Resist the devil. If I'm to be friends with God, if I'm to restore to God in an appropriate way, I have to resist the devil. I have to resist the devil's schemes that is the wisdom of this world. I have to resist the devil who tempts me from my flesh, from myself, that desires and wants things that are contrary to what God is calling me to. So he says resist. There's a beautiful promise in there though, isn't it? What does he say after resist? Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Because he's looking for people that he can do this to. And there's a power that you can have when you submit humbly to God that enables you to stand up to the devil in his schemes. The second one is draw near. And this is this, I, uh, this concept of the opportunity has been opened up with God as in his posture towards us of wanting to be generous and kind and loving and committed. He says, I want you to draw near and then I will, I will draw near to you. Okay, what's the third one in the text? Have a look in, in what's the, the third one that comes after draw near. Get you to do some of the work. What does it say after that? Wash your hands. All right. We had a lot of talk about washing hands in the last probably couple of years. We've become more aware of the reality of what washing hands does. And it says, wash your hands what? You sinners. And what this picture is, is this idea. Sinner is, is, is someone who's missed the mark, right? Someone who's missed what God has called us to. And so you've participated in the world's wisdom, in ambition and envy and all that, that drives the world in that sense. And I've dirtied my hands. But it's not just a physical kind of dirt. We know that our dirt in our hand, you can see hands dirty sometimes, or you can actually, they look clean on the outside, but they can still have an infection that sort of sits with them, doesn't it? And we're always going to our kids, have you washed your hands? They go, yes, can I smell them? Okay, I'll go wash my hands. <laughs> Washing hands, it's, this is such a powerful image Wash your hands, you sinners. There's something that contaminates us. We get forgiveness when we come to Christ at the cross and receive him, but it's an ongoing sense that there's a contamination, but I've got a promise there that I can wash my hands. 
but my hands are washed by the grace of God when I have the right posture towards God. I'm submissive to Him. I'm humble. The third one is purify. Purify what? What's the picture there? Purify your hearts, you double-minded or double-souled. And so this is this idea that um, I follow God. Yep, I, I get this kind of idea of wisdom. But you know what? I'll, I'll follow God as long as it sort of suits me. I'll follow God as long as it kind of is working out for me. But I'll also dabble in the world as well. There's a double-souledness that's going on here, a double-mindedness. And so to purify is to go, I cleanse myself and I have my focus in the right spot. And he says, it's deep within me, it's in my heart. Um, and then what's the next one? Start of the next verse. Okay, change your laughter. Yep, just before that. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Okay, so that whole verse there, grieve, mourn, and wail, change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. And so there's this sense of sorrow. There's the sense of grief. Now come back to the metaphor that I use. Can you start to see why the posture of what you, what you have when you walk into that room and you go before somebody else and they are in control in that sense, right? You, you, are, you are at the mercy of your spouse in that sense. They, they hold the key in the forgiveness and the power of forgiveness. And so your posture towards them is critical. And you can't go in and just say, oh yeah, look, oh, I'm going to do this thing, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that. And then you walk out and you behave in kind of a different way. This is, this is what it's saying. I, I humbly submit, I humbly come before my God. Last week I, I just mentioned kind of in passing in, in my introduction about how in some sense, there's a reckoning a little bit for the church at the moment. We've seen a number of uh, well-known celebrity church leaders fall, and the churches often around them. And there's been a, a, a lot of words and a lot of press um, that have carried on in this space. And it's been really interesting to reflect and to think about it. And some of the commentaries of what people are going is the sense in which we probably quite strongly lost our sense of humility in a corporate kind of level. We bought into a worldly wisdom about how you do church, how you draw a crowd, how you draw people to Jesus. <laughs> we have a relate you can have a relationship with Jesus. But we missed our posture towards him. Andrew Wilson is a UK scholar and in a, a commentary I was reading of his recently, he said, what you call people with is what you call people to. And what he was saying is this, if we don't call people to a humility before God, where we work through these things and understand what my posture is before God, then what am I calling people to? And if I call people with this, then I will call people to a, a, a life of humility, a life of going, I want to wash my hands. I want to purify my heart. I don't want to be double-minded. I want, when it's appropriate in my life, where sin still dominates, to grieve and mourn and wail. 
It's not that I'm permanently in that place. It's just that's the appropriate thing, uh, posture to have when those things are, are present in my life. Do you understand? And when we do that, when we've kind of done that in a corporate kind of way, this is a book that is worthwhile reading if you're interested in, in this. This is uh, by a couple of authors, um, Jimin Goggin and a guy, Kyle Strobel, who's Lee Strobel's son. And so he grew up in a number of, of mega churches and they went through seminary and they said, oh man, we went through seminary, not because we wanted to sit next to someone in hospital and pray for them, but because we wanted to be awesome. Now, quite vulnerable in the book and appreciate it. And they went around a number of leaders and they went to a number of leaders who they said they believe modeled this idea of way of the lamb or way of the dragon. And they pick up their imagery, partly out of Revelation, but predominantly thinking in James 3 and 4. There's a way of wisdom of the world and there's a way of wisdom from above. The way of wisdom of the world is characterized by this dragon, which is power and control and height and numbers and pragmatism. Right? This is the way of the lamb, which still involves power, but it comes out of love and forgiveness and humility. And they're applying it across the church and I think it's an important thing for us to do both individually and collectively at the moment. What is it that we're calling our people to? How is it that we're honoring in our spaces? This is how they describe way the dragon is power and strength for the sake of control and or domination, ambition, envy. The way of the lamb is power and weakness for the sake of love. And they use the example of Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 where he has this He's taken up into the heavens and has this mighty thing with God, but then he comes back down and he still has this thorn of, of, in his flesh which humbles him and he's gone, God, take it away. And God says, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. And the authors say this, this was really interesting. They said, we know very few people that we see as Christians in our churches who actually believe that and who actually live like that. Now, I don't know whether that, that's true, but I know that that is something that means that we need to reflect and think. Do we believe that? That it's out of my weakness and my submission and my humility to God that God will exalt me, not myself. So Paul gets this and he goes, therefore I'll boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. <laughs> so that the power of God might tabernacle upon me. Love that term. Sit within me. Dwell within me. Have residence there. The power of God works in submissive, humble people. This is the text in Matthew 23 that Jesus was saying. He said, But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That would, is a good text for us to be thinking about, about how we operate in our churches. It should be a defining text for how we th are thinking about power, in our homes, in our churches, in our wider kind of community, God calls us to something very, very different.
But I want you to see in verse 10. Sorry, I'll do verse 11 and 12 and then we'll come back. James applies it this way. He says, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against the brother or sister judges them, speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbour? Now, what, essentially what he's doing is he's applying something from what he's just said. If there's a submission, if there's a humility towards God, then the posture that I suddenly am in, when I am in that room, <laughs> right, that humble, um, longing for forgiveness posture, then breaks out into the world that I live in. Because I'm not, I can't be superior to anybody else because I, I, I only have um, forgiveness and grace because of the generosity of God, not because of my own sense of goodness. <laughs> and then I go around, so, uh, yeah, and I, it's talking about slandering. Not only do you, it's not just to this idea that I'm, I'm careful and I'm thoughtful, it's that I see somebody and I make a judgment over them and I make a judgment about them. I take the place of God. He says, don't you worry about that. There's one lawgiver and judge who's able to save or destroy. That's the one who you need a posture towards. And I'll say it here, right here now. You, all of us here, you, you will not stand collectively before your judge one day. You will stand as an individual. And he will ask you a couple of very simple questions. What was your posture towards me? He will ask you, what was your posture towards Jesus Christ when I, when I gave you Jesus Christ on the cross to buy you back from your adultery? Because I wanted you back. What were you like in that room when you opened the door and walked in before me? And you, and you fall on your knees and you go, oh, I, Lord, I need forgiveness to be restored. If you've never done that, if you've never asked for the forgiveness of God, you need to do that. Simple as that. You need to have the right posture towards God. Say thank you, Jesus, for that forgiveness and restoration. The promise is there in verse 10. Let's go for it. When you get this right, <laughs> and it's a work in progress, I get that. We're all a work in progress. I know James talks in black and white, but there's a lot of grey that sits in here in that sense. It's talking about a posture, it's talking about a direction. God honours that posture and pours out his grace. And he pours out his grace and then lifts you up. And I take it that that is in the weeping and grieving and mourning <laughs> Right? In the washing of the hands, he lifts you up. He takes your, um, what is Lamentations? Uh, oil of joy for mourning, right? He, he replaces it and, and brings you back into a place of joy. He restores you and restores that relationship. I loved what um, Adele read this morning, Galatians 2. Galatians 2.20 says, As I have been crucified with Christ, what does it say? And I no longer live. That's Paul talking about his posture. But Christ now lives in me. 
The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. As we close, and, and we're going to sing a song to, to finish up, I want you to use that metaphor in your mind of walking into that room. It's a hard metaphor to think about. <laughs> it's a really hard one. But I think it's appropriate. And I want you to think about not as just the person walking into the room, I want you to think about the spouse who's sitting in there, what they're wanting, what it's like for them. And God who wants to forgive and created a way to forgive, that flow can happen when you come in in the right way. Let's pray for humility. <laughs> But let's pray for it in the right way that God is the one who lifts us up and that we are very careful with self-exaltation. Father, this is a hard text for us to read. Because when we stand here in that waiting room about to go in through that door, we know that that describes us. And we don't like to think of ourselves in that way. But we'll never be cured. We'll never be whole. We'll never be restored. Unless we enter that room with the right posture. Would you teach us this week about what it means to submit to you? what humility really looks like do you show us those places in our lives where we are not resisting the devil in the way that we should that we're not drawing near to you because there's things that are left undone and unsaid would you, sh would you help us to wash our hands to purify our hearts to mourn appropriately that you will lift us up and restore us Father, we pray for this, every individual here in this room, but I also pray it for collectively as a body, Lord, where we have sought to puff ourselves up. <laughs> Would you show us and bring us down appropriately that we may have a right posture towards you, which means we'll have a right posture towards each other and to our world around us. <coughs> Thank you that in your grace and in your beauty, and in your loving kindness towards us, that when we walked into that room with the right posture, you were there with open arms to forgive us and welcome us back. Thank you for your grace, Lord. Amen.